Welcome to the podcast of Tony Mayo, the business owner's executive coach. This podcast is the audio from our free weekly webinar, Tuesdays with Tony at 12. You can see the video, download the slides and other materials at tiny.cc slash TWTony. That's T-I-N-Y dot C-C slash T-W-T-O-N-Y, all lowercase. All right. Now, last time we talked about the whole concept of breakthrough. Uh, so what is a breakthrough? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a dramatic event. It can be even as dramatic as something like this. Where it seems that in an instant, so many things can change just in a moment like that. But of course, the deceptive part of these implosion videos and often the misleading aspect of looking at other people's lives and the results they're getting is we don't see what led up to that dramatic event. We just see the sound bite, the quick little video clip of, of our own life or someone else's life. And we don't realize what went up to it. Or in our own lives, we know a lot of things led up to it, but we don't know which ones it was. Uh, we don't get to run the experiment over with a control group because it's our life. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly what things we said or did or didn't say, say or didn't do that created the opportunity for this sudden implosion, this breakthrough. Uh, just like the implosion of a building, uh, a breakthrough in our own performance, life satisfaction, our results and fulfillment. In an implosion of a building, it takes a great deal of detailed information and experience with the structure of the way things are, with the how buildings are made, what holds them up, what is the makes, keeps them rigid, what's just for display so that they know exactly where to put their explosives and how to time the various explosives. If you watch that video and those like them carefully, and there's lots of them on YouTube, you realize it's not one big bang like a bomb being dropped from an airplane. No, it's a series of explosions. So that things, you weaken the area where you want things to fall towards, and then you break them away so that things can fall into that center. That's what happens with our breakthroughs in our life as well. Lots of seemingly small things that are crucially timed, precisely placed so that we can get that dramatic all of a sudden result. So let's talk some more about, now that we know what a breakthrough can look like, let's talk about uh, any questions you may have so far. I'm looking over the chat window, I don't see any. Let me give Facebook a quick look. I don't see any questions posted over there on Facebook. So let's just move on to another review. I talked about this overarching idea, this powerful insight about breakthroughs is that you want to create a clearing for them. So quickly, a clearing is an environment that encourages what you're looking for. In the example I gave last time was an insight that came to me when I was at Skyline Drive, a, a national park, and they have a particular area called Big Meadows, where there's a big meadow. Now, they mentioned that this area had been grassy for about a millennia. 
Well, a thousand years is a long time, especially since the rest of Shenandoah National Park is reclaimed homesteads and farmland with a forest that's very thick and dense now regrew just in the past, oh, 80 years or so. So what was it that kept this area a meadow for another 950 years? Well, it turns out that the Native Americans would clear it and burn it to keep it that way because they found that if you had a clearing in a wooded area that the deer would come out to feed on the grasses in new shoots. So this is an interesting insight. Imagine that you're the leader of a business or a tribe, a Stone Age group. You need deer to use their hides and their bones for tools and the food for meat and so on. Luckily, you're in an area where there's a lot of deer. You've essentially got two ways of approaching this problem. One is you can get very stealthy and clever and study deer so they can sort of sneak up on them and get close enough to, uh, you know, harvest one. Or you can create an environment, a clearing that attracts deer. So they come to you and you can harvest them at your own convenience. Much of our life is like this. We spend a lot of time chasing and dragging in working and missing and what we want could come to us if we created an appropriate attractive clearing do you know how to create clearings now well you are creating them and what do your clearings create now create what what is it your clearings are an opening for what do they attract well look at what you're getting the life experiences you're having, the results you're producing, your attitude and feeling about those results are being attracted by the clearing that you are, that your environment is, that your business, your language, your job, your family, the clearing that those are creating is attracting what you're getting. I know it's a tautology, but it could also be an insight. Well, let's take a look at this again. Suppose that you had some power over this, and that gets to today's topic. What are the criteria for breakthrough? What is it that makes it possible for us to cause these breakthroughs? Well, the, there are two foundational insights and practices that make all of this possible. And I will tell you what they are as soon as I figure out why this isn't going up on the screen. All right, we're going to have to flip around here. Where is it? Okay, I think I'm seeing it now. All right, slay settings. Can I just see all the slides? Oh, let's flip through a few. Bang, bang. Here we go. These are the key insights. First, I am interpreting events. We don't generally deal with or even notice the actual tangible physical aspects of the world. What we're doing is taking the evidence of the senses of what's going on around us, discarding most of that information, and taking the rest and processing it through this very thick distorting filter of our preferences our prejudices, our ideas, our expectations in creating an interpretation. 
You see, there's this little bit of what happens in the world, and we cover that with a thick layer of what does it mean to me. This is an insight that you can turn into a very powerful practice. For example, when I'm coaching business owners on how to make announcements, on how to share information about the business with other people in their organization, they have a certain set of assumptions, background information, intentions, visions of the future, that when they look at the announcement they're about to make, they interpret it like a business owner, because that's what they are. But it can be very powerful to take some time, and often this takes another person to step out of your own head and look at it a different way. And that is, I'm gonna turn off this share for a moment. How do I stop share? There we go. Now you're just looking at me, for better or worse, you're looking at me. Let's think for a moment about what it will sound like to the employees when you make this announcement. Because they're going to be interpreting it through their own thick, distorting filter of their experiences, their background, their fears, their concerns, their hopes for the future, their doubts about the past, what they think of you as a boss. So let's try out how you communicate through their filter to get the message that you want to get across. We're never just conveying information. Information is a tiny little speck of our communication. What happens beyond that is the interpretation that other people are putting on it. So I said there were two foundational practices. One is to notice that I am interpreting events. I'm dealing with my interpretation, my conclusions, my way of looking at it. The next step is to realize that I can be responsible for my interpretation. My interpretation doesn't have to be something that's just happening to me. It's happening by me. So I can take on some responsibility for that interpretation, to notice that I have assumptions about people, about how they are, what they deserve, what I can rely upon them for. I discussed this with a group of business owners a few years ago, and they quickly gave me some examples of how they deal with this. One mentioned that he was in continual conflict with one of his chief managers, the fellow who ran his warehouse. And what he noticed was, whenever that manager talked about something that wasn't getting done, that the boss really wanted to see happen, the warehouse manager knew exactly whom to blame. This warehouse manager's interpretation of work was people aren't reliable. People don't do things carefully. They don't follow through. So the owner, my client, had to realize that when he was trying to get some result created through his manager, the warehouse manager, he had to deal with the fact that his warehouse manager would be skeptical of implementing new processes, new procedures, because he didn't trust his employees to implement it correctly. That he'd be looking for behaviors on the, on the part of his employees, for results created in his warehouse that would give him ammunition to reinforce this thick distorting filter and know exactly whom to blame for the owner's idea not being implemented. So the owner realized, okay, I have to explore with him 
what might go wrong, who might drop the ball, and then look at ways that we could make it less likely that the employees would do something the warehouse manager could interpret as blaming them. This can change reality. It can change that little kernel of events and happenings that we will then interpret. So we're shifting the interpretation from the warehouse manager is always blaming and I can't get things done through him to my warehouse manager is very sensitive to what other people do. How can I communicate with him in a way that works given his worldview? Now notice, I'm not recommending that you go out there trying to change people's worldview, their standards, their methods for creating interpretations. I'm saying I'm responsible for my interpretation of events. How can I shift the way I assume people are going to behave so that I can be more effective with them? And we set certain criteria. One uh, of the people in this the room that I've discussed this with said, he notices that blame is closely linked with feeling like the victim. Or as the Three Stooges used to say, I'm a victim of circumstance. But that doesn't give you much power. When you're a victim, what power do you have? But when you notice that you have a tendency to blame people for results that aren't, that aren't happening, you can say, well, maybe it's not up to them. After all, I can't control them. What good does it do me to notice and believe that other people are to blame? How can I shift the way I communicate so that they're more likely to cooperate or almost as valuable, more likely to let me know that the cooperation is just not going to happen. So some other ideas on, on how this might be applied. For instance, a, you blame is one phrase that can warn you that your interpretation may not be working for you. Another can be, it shouldn't be this way. The world shouldn't do that. This kind of thing shouldn't happen. A wise coach once pointed out that all suffering comes from the thought, this should not be. Think about that. Now, when I say suffering, I don't mean pain or discomfort. I mean, you have nerves in your body. They send signals to your brain that mean pain. You've got dedicated nerve cells that carry pain signals. If they're triggered, you feel pain. I'm not saying the root of all pain is the thought that this shouldn't be. I'm saying the root of all suffering. What's the difference? It's that same model I talked about earlier. There's this little kernel of reality, an event, which is a certain nerve being triggered. But the big, thick interpretation, the distorting filter through which we work with that kernel of information from us could be suffering. Suffering is the interpretation that we add to the stimulus. And suffering always comes from, it shouldn't be this way. Well, we can't avoid all pain. It's probably not a good idea anyway but we can reduce our suffering by when we notice ourselves suffering to say, why am I interpreting this pain in a way that increases the discomfort, that increases my resistance to the way things are? Maybe I can interpret this in a way that works for me. 
know, you could say to your warehouse manager, it's got to be this way, and then suffer over the fact that it doesn't. Or you can say, I have some influence here. What kind of person would I have to be to have him be more effective? Once I was doing some volunteer work for a really talented coach. We were calling back people who'd expressed interest in the services of this organization. That, it was a task that most of us hated to do because mostly we got voicemail and people didn't call back. I mean, that seems to be the modern way. And the coach said to us, who are you being that people don't think they need to call you back? My first thought was, there's nothing about my brain that's going to change whether that phone gets answered or not. But maybe there's something that's coming through in the time I'm calling, the amount of times I let it ring, the voicemail message I leave. What would happen if I dial that number from an attitude of, this is the call they've been waiting for, and I'm a person they want to talk to. It's important for them that they talk to me. Would that change something about the little kernel of events that would make it through the phone into that voice message? And you know what? When I started dialing those numbers, as a person with a message that mattered to them, as a person whose phone calls got returned, people started returning my phone calls. People started responding to my requests. I remember one of those calls, I got the partner of a large consulting firm on the line. And I told him what was happening. And he said, yes, that's an event I would very much like to go to. And my calendar is in the car. As a person with an important message that served that person on the other end of the call, my instinctive, immediate response to my calendars in the car was, I'll wait. There was a couple of beats because clearly the person on the other end of the call was accustomed to my calendars in the car, expecting me to say, well, you call me back when you get around to it and so on. But no, I wasn't being someone who was an intrusion, someone who could be put off, someone who didn't matter. No, I was being someone who was of service to him. When someone who was committed to service for him, to helping him get what he wanted, who was acting on his assertion that it was an event he very much wanted to attend, when that person said, I'll wait, he thought, that makes sense. Put me on hold, went out to the parking lot, came back with his calendar, committed to the date and time. These are the things that can change. When we take responsibility for the foundation practices, number one, I am interpreting events and I'm acting on that interpretation. And with that, I realize I can be responsible for my interpretation and change the way I respond to events. And I like that word responsible, able to respond. Not mechanically, not like a machine with a very limited repertoire of possible responses. No, I have the ability to choose a response based on my commitments, based on what I'm aspiring to, instead of the automatic way, just having a stimulus response out of fear, out of 
not being okay, out of just wanting to get it over with. You know, a very wise coach once said to me, authentic behavior are those actions not motivated by fear. So much of what we do is motivated by fear, trying to avoid a loss of face, of property, of position, of opportunity. But it's so much more powerful, so much more satisfying, so much more energizing, not to act from fear, but from vision and expectation and hope. That's being responsible for the fact that you are interpreting events all the time. I almost said being responsible for your listening, and that is what it means. I'll put an article up on an occasion when I was very much not responsible for my listening until it was almost too late, but then I was able to come back and redeem the situation by accepting the fact that the way things were going, the way other people were behaving, could be strongly influenced by how I was interpreting their actions. And that if I shifted my interpretation, their actions would have more possibilities. Just like clearing an area in a forest can make it possible for those very important deer to come to me so that I could uh, harvest them at leisure without chasing them, sneaking up on them and dragging them back to camp. So think, are you chasing and dragging after your goals? Or are you creating a clearing where those can happen? I'll give you another business example of a clearing that made what was desired by the business happen more often. Some time ago, I visited the office of a fellow who sold mainframe computers to the U.S. government. This is back in the days when mainframes were the, the big iron, uh, and it was almost entirely dominated by IBM. But there were a couple of alternative manufacturers of mainframe computers. When I arrived at his office, I noticed there was something about it. There was something just so businesslike about it. It just seemed like an organization that worked, that moved smoothly. I couldn't put my finger on it. I sat in the waiting room, didn't get it. I was escorted to the corner office to meet with the owner. Still wasn't clear to me. And I, but I, so I said to him, there's something about your offices that says this organization is reliable, that your people get the job done. I can't figure out exactly what it is. He laughed. He says, I know what it is. It's conscious. It's chosen. So you see, he knows people are interpreting the environment of his office. So he's responsible. He's responding to the fact they're going to interpret. Well, a mainframe's a big investment. And a non-IBM mainframe is a little bit risky. So you need to give some people something in exchange for that security they may feel like they're losing by going with a non-IBM mainframe. But he couldn't go the, the big consulting firm route of having wood paneled rooms and expensive furniture and, and people with lots of uh, expensive prestigious degrees because he has to be the low bidder to get the job. He can't be seen to be wasting any of the government's money. So what does he do? He repaints the office walls every six months. He shampoos the carpets every few weeks. The place is cleaned spotlessly every day. There's just something crisp, clean, and efficient about the environment, but doesn't look expensive or wasteful. So he's conveying 
he's creating a clearing in which people can feel safe that these folks are reliable, that they care, and they don't even know what, how it's happening or what it's costing. So, if you feel like a victim, that's a red flag. If you're blaming other people, that's a red flag. If people are relating to you in a way that doesn't support your commitments and your results, think about it. What is the clearing you're creating that encourages people to behave that way? Now, there are some very specific things we can do to shift the clearing that we are, and we'll talk about those next time. What are some of the criteria for creating a breakthrough, or even better, for allowing our breakthroughs to happen. Remember, a breakthrough is an escape from this sort of steady up and down, maybe gradual improvement in our lives to jump up to another level of performance that is discontinuous, but persistent. And we're now operating from a new baseline and getting new results, maybe even changing the axis of how we judge things. That's what it's all about, coaching to give you your breakthroughs, all right? going to take a quick look to see if there are any questions in the chat window. I don't see any. And oh, th thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate that comment coming from a real pro like uh, Jonathan Faust on Facebook. And I assume he means rocking in a good way. Not that I'm uh, fidgeting too much in my chair. Okay, here's to your breakthroughs. I hope you do well and do it in a way that satisfies you and the people around you. Remember, next Tuesday at noon, we'll be doing it again. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. More coaching like this is available at TonyMayo.com. That URL is T-O-N-Y-M-A-Y-O.com. We appreciate your comments, suggestions for future topics, and most of all, stories of how you applied the coaching. Our email address is podcast at MayoGenuine.com. This podcast is the property of executive coach Tony Mayo all rights reserved worldwide. <laughs>